Hi everyone, I'm your host Ed Miller and welcome back to another episode of I One Two, the podcast that spotlights important role players from your favorite professional teams and their journey to becoming a champion. This week, we speak to one of the National Football League's many unsung heroes, a long snapper. He might not play a glamorous position on offense or defense, but he's an intricate part of special teams. Undrafted out of the University of Arkansas, despite being one of the first two long snappers ever to make the Senior Bowl, he earned his way to a starting position in Green Bay after being released by Jacksonville prior to the regular season twice. In fact, he was close to giving up on professional football. But he played 11 seasons in the NFL, all with Green Bay, and in 2010, he helped the Packers secure a 31-25 win over the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl 45. Let's talk to today's guest, Brett Good. What started you on your path to becoming a football player? When were you kind of first introduced to the game? Well, I started playing when I was five and a half. Uh, Little League, first team was Police Cubs, and I was actually a running back. Um, and kind of, I guess, they kind of let you play any position that you wanted to at that age, just trying to get you involved. But I always loved football, loved watching it uh, growing up. And, you know, the, I didn't know it was going to lead to where it led to. Um, but it was just kind of one of those things where I enjoyed playing. I loved going out and hitting people, and uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. What was it that led you to becoming a long snapper? Uh, you kind of you hit that in high school, right? That's when you kind of found that position? I actually was junior high. Um, so was to, I wasn't big enough. By the time I got to junior high, I wasn't big enough to play on the ninth grade team. So in eighth grade, they needed a long snapper to play on the ninth grade team. So I tried out, and I, and I won the job, and I just kind of – kept going through that process. I actually had a coach that snapped at the University of Arkansas that was at the high school and he started working with me and we started just practicing every day before and after practice. And, and so I kept working on that nonstop throughout high school. And, and then eventually it led to, uh, you know, a chance to walk on to the University of Arkansas and, you know, kind of the crazy part of that whole thing. And, and I thought I was done playing and then all of a sudden, you know, the NFL calls and I get to go to the, the, the senior bowl. Um, so things kind of just transitioned from there and it was kind of unexpected, but that was, it was a fun and exciting moment. If you had to go back and scout yourself in high school, how would you describe your game? I was undersized. Uh, my, by the time I got to high school, we ran a wing T offense, when I, the early parts. And then we ended up running to just like a single back formation. Um, but I was a center. Um, I was under, I was small for a center, but I was big in my school. So, uh, I think everybody was a little bit bigger now in the offensive line than they were then. We didn't lift weights a whole lot. Um, I think that kind of led into college and professionally every time everybody said, I need to gain weight. So uh, when I graduated high school, I was 195. And that's what I played center at for the for the last two years of my career in high school. And, and I was a starter. I mean, I, I did pretty well at that. I, I graded out well. Um, it was one of those things where you just kind of fight to, to try and win each each down. And I was able to do that on a consistent basis. So I would grade myself at the position well. I wouldn't have given myself you know, a four-star effort <laughs> recruit coming out of, out of high school. Um, they also weren't, you know, doing stars for, for snappers coming out at that time either. You said you were 195 in high school. What were you at your peak in the NFL? I played at 258. So and that's I pretty much stayed there within a pound or two, uh, plus or minus. So I was very consistent over the 10 years of staying right at 258 during, during the season. Now, you grew up in... What's kind of considered like pro pro sports deprived Arkansas? There's the college football is is obviously life, but how were you exposed to the NFL at, at a younger age? 
So when I was younger here, it was the Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, we didn't have direct TV where every game was on TV. That was the two games that you got. You know, Monday Night Football was obviously special. You started seeing some other teams around the league. But, you know, I was I was a Cowboys and a Chiefs fan. And at the time with the Cowboys, they always had Emmitt Smith and all those guys. So it was hard not to be their fan because they were winning, you know, championships. And it was, it was fun to be a part of. I still got pictures of me as a little kid being at the Chiefs Stadium as well. So, just watching them, and, and and you know that's that's all you had. The Titans hadn't moved to Nashville at that point; they were still down in Houston, and the Saints weren't very good. So those are the, those are the close teams that we were that we were a part of, and that's what we got to watch. Is that something that you watched on TV and you you kind of thought I'd like I'd like to do that, or or is football for you? Was it just kind of to steal a line from Remember the Titans? I, I'm going to high school; I might as well hit a few guys in the process. No, it was, it was something that I mean, every little kid dreams. If you're playing sports, you dream to go professionally. Um, I, I actually had a career teacher in in eighth grade that I wrote down that I'd like to play in the NFL. And she said I was the only student out of all the years that she had that wrote that as that that was what I wanted to do. And fortunately, it worked out. I know that it's kind of the the odds of that are kind of crazy. Um, But she still to this day has that letter um, that I wrote in in class saying that that's what I wanted to pursue. I just I love sports. I love being around it. Even to this day, I love watching sports. You know, I love just diving in and even if it's film study, I love just, you know, going in there and watching different aspects of different, you know, different sports, not just football. Were you multi-sports in high school? Did you kind of dabble with, with any other sports? I did baseball in high school. I played uh, basketball in junior high. I, I kind of quit. I was going to go back out for basketball in high school, and then I quit everything except football my senior year. That I kind of made the decision. It's like, okay, I was getting recruited by Arkansas. I needed This is what I need to focus on. I need to get in the weight room and, and really – hammer that down. But, you know, as a young kid, I, I played everything. I was even on the swim team and I was actually pretty good at, at this on the swim team. So um, I, I like to stay active, but I love the every sport, the aspect of every sport. Um, I still to this day, my, my son, I want him to play multiple sports. I think, you know, I think we are too young to, to decide that we need to be a one sport athlete the, these days. And that's how, that's kind of reflected to the draft along not just football, but every sport, they, they want to see multiple sport athletes because you build a lot of different techniques and abilities in those different sports. Well, it's funny because I've spoken to a few athletes that said they were they were multi-sports simply because they didn't want to get burned out on the one sport that they were really interested in, that they could they would pursue other sports throughout the year just as something to kind of stay in shape and, and get ready for football season or ready for baseball season or whatever they're passionate about. And that's true. And what's crazy is if you watch like high school football, you know, a football player going to basketball, basketball is a different shape. You know, you have to be in different shape to play basketball. Same thing for baseball. It's just different aspects. And, you know, high school kids, junior high kids, they're not built to work out for one sport year round. You know, that's what you do as a professional when you actually make it. That's your job. You know, when that's college and onto the, you know, professional sports in the NFL, that we had to work out year round and and that's what you're, you're held accountable to that is, is keeping yourself in shape. But being a kid, you, you got to be a kid. You know, you got to enjoy enjoy the high school moments, enjoy each sport that you can. Now, you don't need to overdo it. But if you're able to do, you know, two to three sports, yeah, I'd say go for it. Because a lot of those athletes that do that and have potential, you see them moving on and extending their careers even further because it, it builds a lot of character to, to be able to manage all that, manage your schoolwork. Plus, you know, you're, you're building relationships along the way with so many different people that, you know, it's like a fraternity. You, each sport's its own little fraternity, and, and you have those lifelong friendships. Growing up in Arkansas, as we mentioned, uh, the University of Arkansas football is king. Uh, it's almost like a professional team. I mean, you go to some of these states where they don't have a pro team, and, and that's just the way of life. Were you dead set on playing for your home team, or did you kind of consider any other schools in the process? 
Well, starting off, I want, I mean, obviously wanted to, that was a dream to play for him, but starting off, I didn't know it was going to be a reality. Um, so I had some struggles on the ACT test, um, trying to get in that and, and, and all that process. I had a couple of offers from some non-Division one schools to go and snap. It was everything was just to snap. It wasn't to play another position. And then I actually uh, had to get my appendix taken out going into my senior year, and that was right before they did the specialist camp at the university. So I went up there and I told him, he's like, you know, a week ago I had my appendix taken out. I can't run, but I can snap. Um, and so that's what I did. I snapped for a couple of days, and, and they actually invited me to a, a game the next season. Um, and I, I committed at that point, you know, to walk on to be a part of the 105. And, uh, you know, I won that job for the punts uh, the second week of camp, you know, going into that. So it was, uh, it was a lifelong dream to be able to do it because Arkansas is, you know, it is king in Arkansas, you know, Arkansas sports are, it's changed a little bit. We have a lot more people moving in. Um, but you know, it, it's still a huge deal, you know, for the university because our sports are, are generally pretty good. Football's had some down, some down times of, yeah. of late, but you know, our baseball team's number one right now, you know, our softball team just want, you know, they have a share right now, the SEC, if they lose, you know, if, if uh, A&M beats Florida this weekend, you know, they got a chance of winning it outright. So it, it's, it's just big. You pay attention to everything in Arkansas because it's what it is. The, the long snapper position is very niche. And um, does, does that lead to less scouting? I mean, did you have a lot of guys still coming out and checking you out knowing that you only, I mean, you weren't getting a ton of playing time. You're not a star quarterback. You're not a, a running back or a cornerback, anything like that. So it, my time when I was coming out, even though it doesn't seem that like that long ago, 2003 was when, you know, my last year of high school, they weren't really recruiting full time for snappers. You know, there wasn't snappers getting scholarship offers. Uh, there was no grading scale for snappers. The, all these snapper camps were a lot of the college, you know, recruiters go to. And also, you know, then they have NFL, you know, specialty camps now. Um, they didn't have all that. I was a part of the inaugural people, you know, the first two snappers to go to the senior bowl. Um, which was a huge deal. Now, see, now they're they're invited every year, and so uh, the, the sport is growing. That position is growing, and people are, are respecting it more. Um, but you know, just prior to me getting to to the Packers a few years earlier than that, there was people playing multiple positions and snapping, and then they realized how much of a specialist position it was, and you didn't need your snapper to go down, you know, playing offense or defense and break a finger. You know, because it, it just it screws up everything, you, and it's it's points on the board that you're either giving up points or you're or you're or you're making points for you know for your team. So um, it, it's evolved a lot now. But at, at that point, I was very fortunate that uh, Matt Jones was getting recruited by University of Arkansas, so there was a lot of scouts there watching him. And uh, Otis Kirk was a, was a writer, and he said you know he was down there kind of doing some stuff on Matt. And I was snapping against the goalpost. And he said he walked by and watched me, you know, 15 yards away hitting the goalpost. And that was how I was practicing. Um, and so it's just, you know, little things and work ethic. I think that's how you can get noticed in things. Um, just staying positive and just working hard. You mentioned being a non-scholarship walk-on for the first two years. Uh, is it difficult to kind of scrape and claw your way onto the punt and field goal teams? Yes. I mean, it, none, none of it's easy. Uh, I mean, I remember my first game – is against Tulsa. Um, I wasn't big enough to snap for the field goals in college. You know, my first year I had to gain weight there. Um, by the time I got to college, I was 205. So I gained 10 pounds from high school. But again, you know, I finished at 233 and I was still considered small um, at that point because you look at my NFL career, I played at 258. So you, you kind of had to gain weight and keep moving. But, you know, you're fighting and clawing the entire time. I mean, it's one of those things where one coach came up and 
I had a bad snap in practice and said, that's your one. You know, you, you don't get a lot of opportunities to make mistakes because there's always somebody there to, that wants to take your job. And, and that's the same way it carried on into the NFL. You, you mentioned being a smaller player and how much of a challenge is it to put on weight and kind of be at the, at the size that they'd like? I mean, obviously you're not going to grow anymore as far as height goes, but to put on that weight and bulk up a little bit, how, how tough is that? The, the hardest part in college is, is the commitment to being able to, to find good food. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're struggling uh, on those budgets and everything else, you know, you, I took out student loans and everything else. I didn't, couldn't really carry a job. I carried a job in the summer, but it wasn't enough. You can't do that in the season or the off season because you're working out and going to class. Um, so it, it's difficult. That process is difficult. Um, but, it, but it's a commitment. You got to get in the weight room. You got to, you know, take advantage of everything that, that they offer you now that the, the kids going to school, they can actually get a lot more things than what we could. You know, they actually have a little bit better cafeteria and, and, and they should. You know, a lot of the, the, a lot of the athletes at colleges, they, they're practicing later than the, than the cafeterias are open, you know, and that was the issue of fighting it is, you know, th- these kids need to eat and that was part of it. Um, so I just, every time I was around the food, I hate and, and I love being in the, you know, the workout gym and I, I didn't like running. So I, that, that was also another thing that allowed me to kind of help put on a little bit. Well, you're of talking, you're talking about 15 to 18 years ago. I mean, how much of that was, was just junk to kind of put on weight and burn it and turn it into muscle in the weight room. And how much of it was kind of stuff that you should be eating that that's important for your health. It's probably 50-50, honestly, because um, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you get you go to the dollar menu at McDonald's. That's what you had to do, and, you know, and you're hungry, and you can go eat for $4. Um, you know, th- those are things that, as a college student, that that's what, you know, you dealt with. And that was not just me. That was a lot of guys that, you know, you, you're hungry on a Sunday, and, you you know, the, the cafeteria is closed, and you got a few bucks in your pocket from the per diem from the game. So, you go, you know, you, you go feed yourself. Um, you definitely don't want to go hungry. Um, I'm also a person that – I'm, I, I like to budget, and so I would get certain things that you could do in a microwave. You know, you obviously couldn't have, cook meals inside a dorm, but you find things that you can can have in your dorm room that it's going to be cheaper if you buy it at a grocery store than going out to eat. You mentioned budgeting, and I found an interview with you that was pretty interesting. It said, in your 10 years in Green Bay, you signed seven contracts. You never bought a house during that 10-year tenure in, in Green Bay. What, what was it about that they, they kind of – did you just with the way you kind of came into the league? Did you just feel like y- you never know when your shot was kind of over? Well, there's no longevity. You think about seven contracts over ten years. Um, I got cut twice by Jacksonville prior to that, and that, I think that's just the mindset. I always told myself is you know it, you could be gone at any moment, even during the season. You know the, the snappers are a dime a dozen. So you know you, once you get a spot, you want to keep it, and, and the best way to keep it is keep yourself humble and keep yourself hungry. And so that's what I did. I mean, I, I moved a bunch of different places. And, and, and the only reason I kept a, a bigger place than what I needed was when family came in and friends, to, they could have a place to stay when, when they came to games. Um, other than that, I didn't need it. it was, I was there to work. Um, I wasn't married at, at the first part of my career, so I didn't need anything else from what I lived in. So um, I had a house back in Arkansas because I came back there in the off season. I stayed in Green Bay in, in the first year, the entire year. Um, and it, we had like 40 days, didn't get above zero. And I said, I need to go back to Arkansas and play golf in the off season. So that's what I did. You played with, uh, Darren McFadden during your time in Arkansas, who's probably the, the best running back the school's ever had. Could you kind of tell like what he was becoming and, and could you see at the time that he was going to go on to be a stud at Arkansas? Yes. And not only did we have him, we had Felix Jones and Peyton Hillis and, and that's a dynamite like backfield. 
it, it was unbelievable. And, you know, we had the first college game day come to Arkansas, and that was my senior year. And it was actually senior night against Tennessee. Um, we, we beat them. We were able to go to the SEC championship game. Um, that group was a part of the last group to beat Alabama. You know, that's how long it's been since Arkansas beat Alabama because Nick Saban's kind of running that thing over there now, which is crazy. But uh, we, we had a really good team, and I really feel like, you know, we, we could have caught a, a break or two here, and we might have been considered for the national champion that year. But it was all because of those running backs. You know, we, we ran the wild hog there, and they, you know, he threw a couple touchdowns, they ran. But I remember when they came in as freshmen, you know, returning kickoffs like it was nothing for touchdowns. I mean, it was it was electrifying. You know, the state loved it and they loved being a part of every moment. And you could just see that from the crowd. You lose a bowl game to kind of end your time at Arkansas. Um, With your career seemingly over, do you turn your attention to the NFL or do you kind of look in the mirror and say, all right, what's next? Probably the latter. I mean, the, the game's over. I haven't heard. You know, you don't talk to agents that you don't hear any noise as a snapper at that point still. Um, I was actually packing up my locker. Um, I, was, I thought my football career was over. I was going to go into spring and, and try and finish out my degree. And, and then all of a sudden I got, you know, a memo saying I needed to go see Coach Nutt in his office. So I went in there and and uh, he told me I was going to be the first snapper, one of the first snappers invited to the Senior Bowl. So it was me and a, a guy from Virginia Tech. And uh, so I went down there. You know, a few weeks later and, and everything's kind of history. You start walking out and everything's reality. You got 400 scouts out there and, and, you know, I hadn't seen any of that. So then I was like, okay, well, I need to hire an agent. So then I started kind of researching of, of who, who's a good agent to, for, for snappers. Is it almost like, oh shit, it's getting real? It, it is. It is because it, it's the reality that I, I thought my whole playing career was over. And then all of a sudden, you know, at, it, that was the biggest stage of my career is going to the senior bowl. And now, you, now you're with, you know, the best of the best seniors in college football. Um, and you're there for a week, you know, they're, they're seeing everything about you. They, they measure your hands. They, you know, you, you walk in and your girdles, I mean, it's I always say it's like a meat market in there. You, you're herding cattle and you just go through the, through the process. Um, so it's, it's a very unique experience. Is it almost tougher the trajectory you were on as opposed to, to being the, the stud wide receiver that everybody knows you don't really have anybody hanging with you to kind of show you the ropes because when, when a guy like that's a stud, you know, all those people are going to gravitate towards him to kind of help him for good or bad through his his path to the NFL. It's probably a little bit of both because, you know, when you have those high expectations, you want to live up to it. So, so for a guy like that, if you do think you're going in the first round, then all of a sudden you drop to the third or fourth, you know, that's a letdown. Um, and that could be something that you did at the Senior Bowl, um, whether it be good performance, bad performance, where you got injured, same thing at the Combine. Um, for me, there was no expectations except what I had for myself. Uh, my agent was very good at – explained to me the process, uh, but I didn't I didn't have him before the Senior Bowl. I got him actually after the Senior Bowl, so that was all on my own. But, you know, you, you just be friendly with the, the other teammates that you have at that point because at that point you are a team and you want to play together and, and you just start making friends and, and start talking to people and you start kind of start following their lead. What is that process like? Uh, for somebody that, that that's not around it all the time, uh, what's the process like to getting signed by a team? Did you still watch the draft and, and kind of hope somebody would take a flyer in the fifth or sixth round? So going into my, my draft year of 2007, I thought I had had some conversations with the Jaguars. Um, I thought they might have drafted me in the, in the sixth round. Um, they actually reached out to my agent and said, you know, we got a compensatory pick here. Uh, we're probably going to take Brett in this. And then all of a sudden a linebacker came up that they didn't think was going to be on the board and they took him. And then I go, you know, undrafted free agent um, to Jacksonville. They, they I think it was uh, $5,000. Um, so I signed $5,000 free agent with them, went down there. 
And, uh, you know, at that point, it's just you go to work. You know, you don't have a whole lot of communication with your agent other than, you know, he'll text, you know, how are things going, you know, keep your head up. And, and uh, you know, they, they reach out and they talk to the, the, the personnel department. And I thought things were going good in Jacksonville. And then all of a sudden, um, after the second preseason game, we were actually, it's kind of crazy, we were fixing to go to Green Bay. And I was excited to go to my third preseason game to Lambeau Field that I was going to get to play there. And, and you know, and uh, but I, I got cut a few days before that. And then uh, so I ended up driving back to Arkansas at that point. Um, I didn't. But when I went over there, I did not see family. I mean, we, got, you know, kind of talked on the phone and did some things. Um, and then I came back in that little break that we had, you know, between the OTAs and, and training camp. Um, but you're kind of on your own and, and you're an adult at that point. You know, you, you miss your family and you need you need your family. But at the same time, you know, you've got to find things to do to keep you happy. And I actually picked up the guitar and started trying to teach myself how to play the guitar and uh, work on my golf game a little bit. <laughs> Were you pretty dejected after two years in a row of getting picked up by them and then kind of cut within a couple of months? Yeah, the second time was a lot harder, I think, um, because the first time you think that, you know, you hear, already hear phone calls of I'm going to go get some workouts. So I got some workouts that first year during the season if somebody got hurt. Um, when it came around that second time, I got cut before training camp. It was right after mini camp. And so I, I thought things were going good. You know, I thought it was like, OK, we're going to have a good battle here in training camp. I'm going to have an opportunity, you know, to maybe make this make this roster. And then all of a sudden you're cut before camp even starts before the, you know, right at the summer. So you go home and, and I didn't hear anything. It was crickets from that point. All the teams had, you know, their snapper plus their backup if they were at one competition. Um, so I re-enrolled in school and started working on a construction crew. And I had no clue, you know, what was going on. And after the fourth preseason game, the, the Packers snapper, you know, hurt his leg and they were bringing guys in for a tryout. And I happened to be one of the guys they called. Is it tough? Because uh, you've been out of college for a few years at that point, and you said you, you re-enlisted. Is it tough to stay in a game-style shape, like to stay in, in kind of a shape where you can just jump in if need be? It is tough. Um, and, and there was a point where I almost just completely said, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go you know, move on with, with real life now. Uh, but I told myself, you know, let, let's ride it out this year. Let, let's see what happens. Let's stay in shape because I would hate to have the opportunity if I did get a workout that I was out of shape. So I, I would get up in the morning and I would go work out and then I'd go work out outside on a construction crew all day. Um, and then I'd snap in the evenings. And it was one of those things where you just it, it's a commitment that I didn't want to let myself down. And I was very fortunate that I was I was ready and that and that situation came up. You came into the Packers in 2008. You signed with them after, as you said, one of their long snapper suffered an injury. What were your initial thoughts of, of heading up there and, and playing there? I mean, it's a it's a big not even just climate change, but it's it's a pretty big change from Arkansas. It, it is a big change. Uh, when it first happened, I actually I knew where Wisconsin was, and you always watch Green Bay, but I didn't know exactly what part of the state Green Bay was in. So I got up there and looked on that, and then you start kind of looking at the roster, so you can familiarize yourself with you know some of the guys, and especially the specialists, um, which was kind of crazy at that point. I, I looked over, and there's Mason Crosby, and I met him at the Senior Bowl. Um, from Colorado, and, and he got drafted by Green Bay in 07. So I knew him, but, you know, I didn't know what to expect when I got there. And uh, so I got there, and we just did a workout, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they picked me. And so well, you're going to sign, and then you go through the whole process. I go upstairs and meet with the coaches and start trying to get caught up on the playbook of, of how they run their special teams operations and, and all the, you know, the verbal, nonverbal signals that, that, that go through that process. And then a week later, it's Monday Night Football. And, and you're kind of just thrown to the fire and, and says, here you go. 
Did you work out with any other teams leading up to Green Bay? In 2008, that was it. Um, I had gone. I had worked out for Detroit. Um, I did Buffalo. I did Jacksonville. I did a, a couple other ones in 07. But in 2008, it was, it was just Green Bay. That was the only opportunity that, that kind of came to um, at that moment. Was there any level of stress on on your shoulders, knowing I, I need to come in here, I need to do a good job, and I need to impress? So, in the hopes that I can have a future with this franchise, I, I don't think there's stress. I think that you prepare yourself before that that you're not in a stressful situation because what I've always told people when you're snapping a football, it's different than a quarterback. Nobody's moving. Um, you know, so the punter standing still, the, the holder standing still. So as long as you kind of focus on your training and things that you've done, you know, if you prepared well doing that, you, you shouldn't be stressed. So uh, you just got to go in there and relax. Um, the special teams coach at the time is Mike Stock. He came in there and I, and maybe I, I looked a little nervous on the outside, but he came up and he's like, he's like, you know, just, just relax, take your time, you know, don't rush it. Um, I think that's a lot of times that that is probably the stressful part that you don't realize that you're doing things is you might rush into maybe snapping the ball too fast, like repetitively, you know, instead of taking a break and in between each snap. And so um, I settled in real, really quick and we started snapping some footballs and doing a little coverage, coverage drills. And uh, that was the end of it. How long does it take before you get on the same page with, with your punter? I mean, that's a relationship that's obviously vital to, to what you do. Does it take a while to kind of figure them out and adjust and get, get into a routine? You talk to them. Um, it does take a while. It doesn't take as long on, on a punter in the punt situation as it does when uh, and you hope that your punters do be in the holder. Sometimes the quarterbacks are the holders. That, that's a situation that's a little, you know, a little harder to accomplish in a quick amount of time because you've got to, you know, really understand each other's, you, you misses and, and everything else. So, you know, my holders kind of knew that if I snapped the ball a little high, my laces were still going to be good. Um, and that kind of goes to the kicker and he doesn't, you know, necessarily freak out, but he understands the ball's still going to be laces out. And so those are things that you, you earn those things over time, but by, by a lot of practice and repetition and on the punter aspect for the, for the punch, you just say, you know, where do you like it? Where, where do you like the ball? Where, where can I miss, you know, where, where's one that's not going to screw you up and what's the one that is going to screw you up. You know, you don't want to, you want to stay away from those. You want to practice to, to prevent those. And for the most part, I was able to do that. Well, you actually had uh, several punters during your tenure with the Packers. Is, is that an adjustment too? Because you know what guys like and what guys don't like and, and kind of have not a revolving door, but a, a new punter every couple of years. Was that an adjustment for you? It's definitely an adjustment because one, you build a relationship with a guy before. Um, and so you, you're hanging out with that guy and you're doing different things. Um, and then two, you know, you, you're, you're just having to change, you know, and change is hard. And so what you're doing at that point is you're trying to make sure that you're snapping a good ball. You know, me personally, I'm, and also you got protection. So I'm going to try and put it on his hip, uh, you know, chest and knee. That's kind of my miss, but. For the most part, you want it, you know, to land right at the waistline. And then after that, you got to go block and cover. You know, you can't think about it too much because you've been practicing, you know, for a long time to get to that point. And some, you know, you just want to make a good ball that they can catch and, and they can get into rhythm. What was it like to be on one of sports's most recognizable teams? I mean, obviously we talked about Arkansas and there's no pro sports teams there. So what did it kind of feel like to go to football Mecca and, and to play at Lambeau? So, well, Lambeau's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I love going back. It's it's a unique place. Um, during my time, I got to go to every stadium that was active um, throughout, you know, all 32 teams now. They've gotten some new stadiums that I haven't seen. But Lambeau is just a unique place that you, you can't really adjust for the weather until you're there. You know, a lot of a lot of players come in and ask, how do you deal with it? And you, you just have to deal with it. You learn to – you go outside and practice. 
Um, I, I, when I first got there, they said, you know, make sure you drink a lot of water. It's really humid. Well, coming from Arkansas, where I was, it, that humidity in Wisconsin wasn't near as bad. So, you know, there, there's things that kind of build you in life along the way that kind of prepares you. Um, but it, it also is very recognizable, you know, to other places, especially when you come home and, you know, you're all oh, you're playing for the Packers. How's that playing, you know, at Lambeau Field? You know, it's the it's the place where football was and and is. And then you walk around a town of Green Bay of 100,000 people, you know, for the city limits. And, and everybody recognizes you even as a snapper um, at the grocery store or you go to a bar and get some food and have a beer. And everybody, you know, everybody starts wanting to talk to you. Those are the cool moments, um, you know, because it, it just makes you makes you feel appreciated that they understand that you're also a normal person, but they like talking football and having a beer with you. I heard a fun story uh, on another podcast that you had done where you were in a casino with Aaron Rodgers and, and the person next to you, they didn't believe that it was Aaron Rodgers, that he would be at a casino in, right outside of Green Bay. And that's happened multiple times with him. Um, you know, he had his hat pulled down real low and we were just playing blackjack. We, it was nothing, you know, stupid. We were just sitting there at a little table, and this guy goes through this whole process, and he said, oh, but you wouldn't be Aaron. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, this is the middle of the season, too. This is what's great about this. And the guy says, well, Aaron being in Vegas at some high, you know, high limit table. And we just kind of laughed, and, and you know, the, the max that table was 25 bucks. I mean, we were just there just killing time because – you know, when the winter changes in Green Bay, you've got to find stuff to do to take your mind off of football. Um, it, it is your job, but you you, you got to have downtime. It's just like with another job. You don't want to be fully committed to just that. You've got to do other things, whether it be involved in charity, kids, whatever you're doing. Yeah, you're not a robot. Some people just you're think not athletes robot. are robots. Exactly. And, and a lot of people comment on that. Why would you be out? Why wouldn't you be studying your playbook? Um, and you wouldn't be very good if you had to study your playbook all the time. And it's a lot like we said with – Early on about kids, you know, doing nonstop one sport, you can't do it. You will get burned out really fast. And, and it's one of those things where you don't want to get burned out in the NFL. You want to enjoy every moment that you can because it, it doesn't last forever. You came in um, right as Aaron Rodgers became the starter and kind of the, the torch was passed from Favre to, to Rodgers. What were your impressions of how he handled becoming the heir apparent and how he carried himself in the locker room? Well, you know, I walked in and every, everybody was very professional. Everybody was very friendly. Um, they didn't know me from anybody else. They just, you know, just seen me. They'd come out of meetings and realized they had a, you know, a new teammate. Um, they were very nice, came over to introduce themselves. And at that point, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of conversations until kind of later in the week. Then you kind of start talking to each other, you know, where you're from and, you know, everything about college and everything else. Um, our lockers were actually pretty close together that we were split between a, a hallway that actually led out to Lambeau Field. So we got to we got to talking pretty quick early on. And I'll never forget, you know, that game against the Vikings Monday night. Um, you know, obviously there's some nerves. I hadn't played a football game in two years and, and it's Monday night football, something you grew up watching. And then his first night starting um, for the Packers after Brett and the cameras are all on him. And so I've kind of sitting there thinking in the, in the tunnel there. And all of a sudden I feel this arm pull me in front of the camera and I start laughing because he's just smiling ear to ear. And so, you know, he's a fun loving guy. He loves to joke, but he's also serious and he's a great leader. You mentioned Brett Favre. When he comes back to Minnesota, or when he's playing for Minnesota and he comes back to Green Bay, is that something that, that amps the team up? Or is it one of those things where you guys are just tired as hell of hearing of it because media just kind of beats a dead horse? I think that you don't pay a whole lot of attention. Yes, you want to you want to win. But the biggest thing is those type of games you want to win because it's a divisional game. Um, a lot of people understand that, that you, if you win the division, you get a home playoff game. You know, there's all those things that 
to go along with it. Yes, there's a lot of players that probably say, oh, man, I, I want to beat Brett Favre or somebody on the defense. I can't wait to finally, you know, maybe get an interception against Brett. I've been doing it in practice. And I'm, that goes away, you know, for every team because there's all kinds of movement throughout the NFL. And you can't let it go just to that. You've got to just play the team game and you know, and go out there and try and get a win because that, that win means more than just getting, you know, something against somebody else. Now, Rodgers got some of the guys cowboy hats and bolos prior to the 2010 season, kind of as a joke because the, the Super Bowl was in Texas. Were you one of the guys that got that got one of those hats, or was that reserved mainly for the closest, like the offensive linemen and stuff? They, they, that was an offensive line thing. Uh, I actually dressed up for that uh, <laughs> with, with a coat and tie for that. I wasn't a part of the, uh, the the characters doing that. We had bolos, and we did different things, and uh, that was another thing. You know, they always tried to make light of every situation. You know, you go, you go to those luncheon-type deals, and you just come off a practice field. You're fixing to get on the road and go somewhere else. You're not necessarily committed to it, but when you do something fun like that, it makes the whole thing, you know, seem better. And it is, and it's a great deal. It's a great cause, and, and you get to meet a lot of cool people doing those. Coach McCarthy put a uh, kind of a blank picture up in the in the locker room, and this is something on the on the Super Bowl DVD. Is it one of those things where does that motivate you guys, or is it just one of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see that there's a blank picture over the wall for a Super Bowl. Just kind of forget about it and move on. Well, so it comes across, and it's it's obviously motivating. You see that because you walk down this hall and you see you know all champions of uh, uh, before the Super Bowl era and everything. You see all these world championships that the Packers have had, and and it it was title town. I mean that's that's what you see. That's what you see all around Green Bay. So then you see that up there, and it's a blank blank photo, like you said, and you're like, man, I'd love to get my picture on that wall, you know, because now you're etched in history that'll never be taken down, and so. You don't think about that week to week, but every time you go in a team meeting, you see it. So there's a little bit of both, but it, you probably don't remember it every single time. And then all of a sudden you look up there and be like, yeah, it'd be nice, you know, to get our picture up there, especially once that, you know, those runs started happening when we started winning. Is that something that sits through your mind throughout the season, kind of? Because you have a lot of meetings in that room, I'm assuming. So is it something where it's kind of every once in a while you stare over, you see it's still blank and it's like, yeah, we're let's do this. Like, let's go. Uh, not necessarily, because when you're in the meeting, you're, you're focused. I mean, that's you know, you're doing the, the film study. You're doing each each week. It, it goes really quick. Um, you know, they've got a regimen of, of which day does what installs and, and personnel uh, of going over the different people that you're going through. And so you're you've got to be honed in and focused on that. You know, you're taking notes and then you're talking to your teammates of the communication of how that you want to handle certain certain situations. So you can't think too much about a, a picture. Um, it's definitely motivating, you know, but you don't overdo it to the fact where, you know, you're really diving in saying, okay, we got to get up there and that's, that's what we want because everybody knows the goal. You know, you're in Green Bay, it's title town. It's, you're, you're judged off championships. You know, you, your win loss is great, but that's how, that's how you're remembered. What did the bulk of your week look like as far as game film and practice? I mean, how did you kind of prepare? Because everybody kind of sees the offense and the defense and how they do it. Special teams is kind of something that flies a little under the radar. So special teams is. You, you don't have a whole lot of meeting time compared to the other guys. You, For snapping-wise, you don't want to overdo it. Um, so you have to come into a routine that works for you. Um, my routine was, um, you know, snap. You obviously snap Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, but then it didn't snap on on Monday and Tuesday unless we were playing a Thursday game. But during the week, it was it was film study. It was watching the, the opponents, you know, punt returns, and it was every single one. Not only just the, their punt block looks, but their their safe looks and everything, and trying to figure out tendencies. Um, if we had a fake in that week, you're looking at those different tendencies of you know who I've got to get, what, what's my responsibilities here, 
Um, same thing on field goal. You watch their punt, you know, their, their field goal block team and uh, their tendencies there, which way I've got to lean and, and move. And, and, and you just try and figure that out. That way, when you get out on the field, everything slows down and seems easy. And I think that's the way with a lot of positions that, you know, the more studying that you can do and, and put that in your brain, the, the easier the game is. You guys go in opening day and it marked the first time the Packers won in Philadelphia in few decades I think it was 1962 was their last win it's not a bad start and it's kind of a historic start so did you guys have a feeling that things were at least going on the right trajectory if you start out the season that way you can't be disappointed with with winning your first game uh you, at that point when the season starts it's one game at a time um and and that's for every team every player you know you want to win the division you know you want to have a home field you know a home playoff game um, we didn't that year, and but we were able to, to get in, and, and you're literally going one game at a time. Because as soon as that game's over, you go in the next day, you work out, you do film study, and then you move on. You've got to move on to the next team because then you've got to go through that whole process of, of relearning. You know, their every position that they have that you're going against, you've got to go through that process and make sure that you're you're ready to go on that end. What was that next up mentality kind of like? Because that team suffered a lot of injuries about four to five weeks in the season. You guys lose two games in overtime, and then you're starting to look like a mash unit a little bit. Is that is that deflating? It is because it's it's more deflating during a game when you see a guy go down because it's your brother. It's your guy going down the field, and you feel bad for him, and you don't know how bad the injury is. Um, probably if they have family or a wife or kids, you, you've met them, you've seen them, you've talked to them, so you feel bad for them because – some of them are in tears, you know, um, there, there's certain injuries that are, that are hard to look at, but you know, it's your friend and it's the guy that you've gone into onto the battlefield of, of the football field. And it's hard to see, but when you're doing this week to week deal, you've got to have the next up mentality. And so when somebody come in, you got to take them out under the arms and, and walk them through the process of this is how we're doing this. And you just go about it. You got to go about business because those guys have been, you know, they've been like me, they've been on the out. You know, those guys were hungry. They all had a chip on their shoulder. They had been cut from another team or arena football. So they, they come in and they're hungry. And so they want to do everything they can to, to make a team and make a career in the NFL and then have a chance to win some good football games. How do you make them feel comfortable in that role, especially for a guy that's that hasn't necessarily been on? He's not a backup. Maybe he came from the practice squad or something. How How, when he's pushed right into the fire, how do you kind of get him comfortable? Everybody's good at that level. You know, this is not teaching somebody to play football. So that, so they're obviously good. They've earned a spot. The biggest thing you should do is be yourself. Be friendly. You know, break, take them on, under your wing, like I said, and just just be yourself. You know, be, be friendly to them. Ask them what are, the, what are their thoughts. You know, do you joke with them? Are you nervous? You know, don't, you know, don't get nervous. But, but everybody has nerves going through. Um, I think there's a saying that some people said that when the nerves kind of stop, the, the game's not meant to be anymore. Um, because then you've gotten too relaxed because it's it's a game time deal. You love playing, you love being out there, and, and all those guys. The lights come on. You know that they're able to perform at a high level. Week fourteen, you guys had a uh, a seven three loss in Detroit, and more importantly, your quarterback got his bell rung pretty good. What was the collective mindset of the team and, and you specifically at that point, seeing him go down, knowing you guys are having a pretty good season, and it's like, uh oh, we could we could lose him for the rest of the year. It, it's hard. Um, you try not to think. Uh, you know, like a Debbie Downer type situation. Um, but but th- those thoughts do go through your mind where you're going, okay, what's going to happen now? Who, who's up? But, you, but you're also confident in your backups. I mean, you, you've been with them. They're on your team too. 
Those aren't guys that are just walking in off the street um, generally. Now, it does happen where a guy comes in. Um, I think last year in Denver, you know, receiver played quarterback on a Sunday. So Yeah, the first that guy that comes to mind is Vinny Testaverde. I think that guy came in off the couch about three or four different seasons. Exactly, and so that, that, that does happen. But for the most part, you, you have your teammates um, that are there to be with you, and you have confidence in them. And, and, you know, one guy doesn't make the team. There's obviously better guys that make your team that much better, and Aaron is, is that guy. Um, so it, it, you just go to work and, and what you do in those situations is you try to handle your business. And if each guy handles their business and tries to win their one-on-one battle, then you have a chance of winning a game. You became pretty close with Aaron though. So what's that like seeing that on a, from a friendship level? I mean, obviously, like we said before, athletes aren't robots and to see your, your, your friend get second concussion within a year. I mean, is that something that's, that sticks in your mind a little bit? You're worried. You're worried about the, the human being. And, and, and at that point, you just go about it and say, you know, you'd be a friend. What can I do for you? You doing OK? I mean, uh, he's a family. I mean, you, you know, he was in my wedding. So there, there's things that you just go about it and you just be yourself. You know, you, you, you if he wants comfort, you, you're there to comfort. If he wants to talk, whatever, watch a movie, anything that goes to that situation, same thing for everybody. You just you'd be there for him whenever they're ready and you'd be supportive as much as you can. The last two games of the year were must-win games to get the the sixth seed as a, in the playoffs. How much more challenging is it knowing in the playoffs that you're that you have to win every game on the road? Every game on the road is tough, considering the crowds. You know, last year I think was a little bit different. It was the first time that the home teams didn't have you know a winning record, and that was because of COVID with no crowds. But you go to all these stadiums. I mean, they're they're tough places to win, um, and that's why you always want to have home field advantage because typically those teams do better. But that team was was special. We didn't think anybody could beat us at that point when we started getting on that roll, and, and we just kept we kept winning. And and, that, and once we started winning more, the confidence even got higher. And we just we didn't care where we played you. We were going to go out there and, and beat you. What memory do you have from each playoff game? Uh, let's start with the wild card game in Philadelphia. What's one memory that immediately sticks out in your mind? Oh, probably the end of the game. We've got a punt. Um, I think it was it was right around the two minute mark if the two minute hadn't even come through there, and we're on the field, you know, and it, it's it's chilly there, and, and so you're you've got you're kind of out there and you're trying to you know move the field. We're kind of backed up and we're trying to move the field, and I think that's the one thing it was kind of the the end of the game for us when we realized we were going to be okay as once we got that punt off. So uh, I don't think that's something that you were you know you weren't again super stressed about the situation, but you just go out there and you realize that. Okay, well, you know we're fixing to win this playoff game, you know, and let's let's go out here and, and get this done. Was it nice to get that first one out of the way and just kind of move on from there? It was because the previous year, you know, we lost that one in Arizona um, in overtime on the sack fumble, so that that was a heartbreaker, and that's kind of in your mind that you don't want this game to go down like that. But then when you get that win, it's so comforting and, and making you feel good that, okay, we got we got one. Now it's time to move on to the next and go get another one. So that was your first playoff win up to that point, correct? It was. We had a losing season in 08, and we lost that game against Arizona in 09. So moving forward, you had the divisional at Atlanta. What's your what's your first memory that comes to mind? Oh, a lot of people didn't think we had a chance. Um, you know, They were the number one seed um, at the time. And so a lot of people thought that they were just going to kind of ring us up because, uh, you know, Matt Ryan had had a, a great season that year. I don't know if he got MVP or what, but his numbers were very high that year. Um, I think, I don't know if it was that year or the year after it was Matty Ice, you know, everybody yeah. was, was loving that coming out. And then we just went in there and, and, you know, we, we realized that we were going to win. I mean, it was just one of those things. Tremont got an interception 
you know, you know, for a touchdown and everything just was going our way. The balls were bouncing our way and everything just – it wasn't easy, but it, it seemed like it was just working in the right way. Did some of that stem from losing to them earlier in the year? I mean, do you think that emphasized why everybody put you guys as the dogs and gave you no chance? Absolutely. Anytime you lose to a team early, you know, that's that's what they're going to say. But it's also hard to beat a team twice um, in the same year. And that's the same thing that they say about, you know, divisional opponents. If, if you've gone 2-0 against a divisional opponent, you know, the, the odds of them winning that playoff game are actually pretty high because it's hard to beat three teams. You know, these guys are, are all professionals. They all get paid, too. And so uh, they had beaten us earlier, but we, we were confident. We were a confident football team on a roll. You know, they had the week off prior to, you know, that playoff game. You know, we were in the wild card, so we just we kind of kept running on that on that run we were on, and, and we were, had some momentum, and we kept it going. It's funny because McCarthy said earlier in the year when you guys had lost to them in the regular season that the team wasn't deflated. It's like, we, we know we can beat this team. We know if we get another crack at them that we can beat them, and that really might have worked to your advantage losing to them earlier on. It, it probably did, and that's one thing that was great about that team is, there wasn't a lot of things that went on, even the losses that we had that we didn't think we could beat that team. You know, it was mental mistakes and errors that you go through and you're like, you know, you're just like, oh, man, I can't believe, you know, we let that one get away. You know, whether it be a guy open or something on special teams, you're like, man, we, we can do better than this. And so um, after that game, we weren't deflated. You know, you just you go about your business and you say, you know, you hope to see them in the playoffs. And we were able to have that opportunity. The uh, the NFC Championship against the uh, rival Chicago Bears. It was cold. <laughs> uh, like Lambeau cold. A, uh, you know they don't call it the Windy City for nothing. So you know <laughs> you got you got to deal with some elements there. Um, Chicago is an interesting place to play. It seems like they're you know their paint crew even on the sidelines they don't really do, know how to uh, paint straight lines. <laughs> so uh, we we like to go out and make fun of those. And it, it, it was one of those things where you know we played the Bears twice that year, and so. You, you know the Bears, you know, you know, it's just like everybody in the division, you know them really well. They know you. Um, they know all your tendencies, the coaches, they know everybody's tendencies. And so it's just, it's a battle. And that's, that's what it was. Uh, we were fortunate to walk away with that. Um, it was, it was unfortunate that we couldn't celebrate on the field, but they said the, the Bears fans might have not liked us uh, celebrating that NFC championship game on the field. So we did that in the locker room. Well, which I know, was warmer, I know so one person out. who didn't celebrate and it was president Obama uh, he had made plans to go to the Super Bowl and because uh, he wanted to see the Bears. And when you guys beat the Bears, he's like, mm, I'm not doing that. But it sounded like it kind of motivated you guys of like, all right, if he doesn't want to come see us play, then we're going to win and we're going to go to the White House. And then he's going to have to. And, and that, that is, well, you know, Charles Woodson said that. And, and that's that's obviously motivating, you know, and it's it's one of those things where you're like, you know, we're, we're good, too. And I know that you'd love to see your Bears play, but. Um, you know, we were like, let's just go do it. Let's go, let's go make this happen. And, and we were, we were able to get that done. And your best memory from the Super Bowl? Well, I'm, outside of winning it, um, <laughs> it, yeah. it was the week of, I mean, just the whole week of the Super Bowl, you go down there and you get to experience everything that goes through. Um, the, the downside was that, that Dallas had that freak ice storm. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a little interesting getting around from time to time, but there were so many great memories from that week of going out to restaurants and just, you know, you're, you're there for Super Bowl week. Then your family and friends come in on a Thursday. You start hanging out with them a little bit, kind of relaxing, and, and you just kind of go through the process. And then come Saturday, you know, you start focusing on the game like you would on a normal Sunday. You know, you're just trying to get ready. The hardest part was waiting around all day Sunday. Um, you know, it's hard not to watch TV and hear all the people talking. So you have it a little bit. But we played cards and, you know, just try to stay relaxed and, and just go out there and, and be ready when the time came, and it was just uh, it was a magical week. 
what do you guys kind of do that morning? I mean, you mentioned cards and stuff. Are you at the hotel just kind of just watching the clock and kind of doing anything to keep your mind off it? Or are you at the stadium and just kind of? We usually don't get to the stadium until about four hours before the game, you know, three and a half, four hours. So for the, you're, you're, sitting at, you're sitting at the hotel. You know, you, you walk around the outside, you, you know, get, get some fresh air, watch a movie. Everybody has different things that they do. You know, some guys like playing video games, play games on your phone or, you know, whatever you want to do. Some guys are still studying at that point um, and just trying to make sure that they're going through the final checklist. And so you just want to do the same thing that you do every week and what the, you had done prior to that and try to do the same thing because, you know, what you've done at that point has gotten you there. There's no need to change it. What was media day like? That's always, I mean, I've talked to, um, I talked to Ken Dilger and he won it back in, in 03. He was on the 2002 bucks and he's like, media day was, was nothing, you know, it was just, I mean, and obviously it's, it continues to evolve and we're talking about 11 years ago now, but was it? Was it the three ring circus? It's kind of started to build towards. Me, yes, and Media Day was was very interesting, and they tried to prepare us. You know, obviously your big name guys, they all have podiums, and everybody else, you're just walking around, and, and you have to be out there. You know, it's required for you to be out there. Um, I wouldn't say it was it was a waste of time because it was very interesting. The cool part was you got a lot of people from different countries that came and asked questions. A lot of people. Um, that, that were very intrigued with what the sport was. And that's what was great about it is that you got to talk to people that you never seen in your Green Bay locker room or, or on the road, you know, in Atlanta before the, before that game. Um, and so, and that's one thing about like the playoffs, you know, as each game, you know, gets bigger, the media gets bigger. Um, and so I wouldn't say necessarily media day, but we had to do like media requirements during the week where we'd have to go sit at a table. Um, so you're sitting there and you've got to basically get a newspaper and some, some, something to drink and you're just kind of hanging out and anybody can walk through the room. And so that somebody just randomly will sit down. Um, I had a couple of people with some translators and, and those are cool things because for me, I like talking to people. I like seeing people's, you know, different backgrounds and I, I would ask them questions, you know, like, how did you get here? Like, the, you know, this, it's, it's not an easy ticket to find just, just because you're in the media doesn't mean you're going to go be able to you know broadcast the Super Bowl. Well, and it kind of shows you the outreach that that you have and that the sport has. I mean, when when people in Taiwan and Malaysia and Japan and and all these Asian countries are interested in football, like it's the last thing you'd think of when you're in Green Bay and you're just kind of doing your job. It, it, absolutely, and that's that's what's so great about the sport, and I think that's why the sport has grown so much because internationally, you know, we, we've tried to play over internationally. It, it's tough to do. You know, we've had the games in London and, and, and moved around preseason games, different places, Mexico City, everywhere. But it's so great as long as they can keep doing this because I think there is interest in that. You know, it, it's an entertainment business and people like people like watching it. I mean, that's why they used to watch the Gladiators. I mean, it was put, put people in, in, in a, an arena and watch them go at it. And that's the closest thing that we have to this day of, of being gladiators, you know, for, for Americans and, and people that aren't Americans, they just love the sport. Do you remember uh, much of Charles Woodson's halftime uh, Super Bowl speech? It was, the doors were closed, he, he had gotten injured, and then he kind of let you guys, kind of gave you a win one for the Gibber speech. Do you remember much of how that went? I, I do remember, uh, I'm not going to repeat it, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you keep a lot of that stuff in the house. Um, Charles, Charles is an unbelievable guy, unbelievable leader. Um, to see a guy go down like that, you know, you feel for the guy. You know, he's been, he was a Hall of Famer before that. And then you, you're able to be his teammate and, and see him play and see the things that he can do. 
Uh, he's unbelievable. And he, he's an unbelievable guy, unbelievable you know teammate. And so being a part of that and, and being with him on that team was very special. He had a very interesting career, and it was kind of up and down. And, and he, he goes from the Raiders to Green Bay, and it doesn't necessarily seem like he's, he's thrilled with being in Green Bay, kind of with the coaching situation and whatnot. Was he always boisterous or – or was it something that was just kind of played up by the media when push came to shove, he did his job and he went home? He was always friendly to me. Um, I, I didn't see him, you know, being that way to certain people. And then obviously, you know, things happen with the media um, and other people. Rumors get out. Obviously, a lot of rumors start because somebody has leaked it. Um, but for the most part, he, he was great to his teammates. Um, there might have been some times where, there was maybe some frustrations, but, you know, a guy of that caliber, he, he demands people around him to be better, you know, because he's going to go out there and, and perform at the level that he does. And, and you want those guys to be there. You want those guys to push you um, that if you are slacking, I don't know what happened in those DB meeting rooms. Um, I wasn't involved in those. But uh, for, to me, he, he was an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable teammate and friend. What was it like to play the the Steelers? And you kind of had that dynamic of McCarthy come, being a Pittsburgh guy and and playing against a team that that had won just as many champ. I mean, they were they were essentially Title Town Junior, if you want to call Green Bay Title Town. There was a lot going on with that. Um, you know, Mike had has some very deep roots there, and, and we always heard a lot of his background and um, you know his personal experiences with his with his family and. And you could see the reality of why Pittsburgh, you know, feels the way they are. It's a steel city. I mean, people talk about that. There's, you know, blue collar community and they're hard workers. A lot of that Green Bay, um, you know, both, both of those towns come from people that just they're hard workers and not tremendous, huge cities where, you know, where that's at. Obviously, Pittsburgh's bigger than Green Bay, but it, it was one of those things. Again, you just want to go out there and win. Um we had had some some previous meetings with Pittsburgh, and you know you walk away feeling like you can beat those guys as well. And at that point, you get in the game, you, you've done the film study, and you just want to go out there and win. As the clock's winding down, what's I mean? Obviously, you're elated to win, but what what are you doing? What's kind of on your mind, and how are you feeling? So we had a punt late in the game, and we had to repunt. Um, we had a penalty on that, and that's kind of the one thing that you hate doing. Not necessarily because you're nervous. You hate doing it because you just, you know, you punted the ball and then you, everybody in the field ran as hard as they could 65 yards. And you're, you know, you're tired. You've got to go back and kind of regroup really fast in 40 seconds and do it again. And so we had that and then they ended up getting on defense and, uh, you know, we were able to, to stop them. And I just remember sitting there, you know, just when it was fourth down, it's like, okay, one more stop. Like, this is it. Like, you, we're going to be a Super Bowl champs. You get to stop right now. And, and when they were able to do that, then then you can see our sideline, the emotion just erupted because you know at that point that you're a Super Bowl champ. Did you have any family or friends in the stands kind of rooting you on? We had 16 people there, so uh, it was it was good. We we got two tickets for free. We were, we were able to buy the other 14. Um, so I, I kind of got a list together of a bunch of people and said, hey, I've got these tickets. If you want to buy them, this is the cost. And and they filled up obviously really fast. I guess so. that works out pretty well for you because it's not too far of a drive from. from yeah, and that's what worked out well. So that was about a five hour drive with, with the ice storm. It took about took them eight hours, um, which was a lot. They said it was a little dicey, uh, but it but it was all worth it. They all they all had a great time. We got to go out and do some dinners. Um, we got to hang out afterwards and celebrate together. So that was a lot of fun. It's typically reserved for scoring, but in your eleven years in Green Bay, did you ever get to do a Lambo leap? 
No, I did not. I always said if, if something happened, I, I wouldn't do the Lambo leap. I do the Lambo stairs. So there, I, I knew where the staircase was on both ends of the, uh, ends of the end zone. And I said, I'll just do that to make something unique for myself. Uh, but uh, never, never had that opportunity, and uh, that, that's okay. Not even towards the end of the Super Bowl, there was no no Dallas leap or anything like that. There, there wasn't a Dallas leap <laughs> at that point. You're just you're running on the field. You know when the, when the celebration happens at that point, they've got the ropes coming out there trying to block people off so they can get the stage in different places. And you you have to watch out. Like the media was almost ran us over. <laughs> Like they're because they're trying to get their spot in line, and you're trying to hug your teammates and celebrate. And, yeah, and it's you know, one against it's going, one against a hundred. It is, and they get confetti coming down. Um, so it, it's a, an experience. It's just it all happens really fast. Um, but uh, but I'll remember that forever. How excited were you for your friend to see him get the the MVP of the Super Bowl? Oh, I mean, you, you can't express that. I mean, you, you're obviously happy for a guy that, that does what he does and what he did at that point. Um, you know, he, he put up good numbers. He was a leader of the, our football team. He carried us. Um, he, you know, he, he deserved it. And that's one thing that was great about that game. And they gave it to somebody who actually deserved it. Um, I don't think that happens every time for an NFL MVP. Um, same thing with the Heisman Trophy. It doesn't it sometimes it just goes to the best player on the best team. It yeah. doesn't necessarily go to that guy. So, um, seeing him get that, it, it was rightfully earned. Um, you're, you're happy for him. And, and as a friend, you know, you, that's all you can be is happy. Did you have a click on the field that you kind of celebrated with? I've got, I actually got a newspaper clipping um, that was my buddy was in California. And this guy lives in Boca Raton. And he sent me this newspaper. He was in, at the airport. And it was a photo of Aaron and I hugging that they had in a California newspaper. So I got that framed. Um, and, and then you just, you're hugging all your teammates as many as you can. And then they're actually able to have four people from, you know, your family, from your tickets come onto the field. So then you're, you're trying to find them and hug them and, and just celebrate. Is that a, is that a tough decision to make? You got, you got 14, you said 14 people there, right? So, so it's like, 16, I had had to say only four can come down on the field. So, (laughs) um, it wasn't too tough. I just, it was my brother, a buddy, and it was basically all buddies. I was just like, come on. And uh, so we, we got down there, and, and at that point, it was a party. I mean, you know, you, you don't go to sleep. I didn't go to sleep the next day. I, I, I got an hour of sleep. I went to sleep at 7.30, I think, the next morning. So um, it, it's, it's a lifelong dream. You know, you, you put in all the hard work. You got to do it in Dallas Stadium where you were, you know, a fan of the Cowboys and their, their big, fancy new stadium. You got to go do that in Jerry World. Yeah, that meant a lot. What was that ride home like in the plane? So the the plane was a lot of fun. There was uh, there was a few guys that were, you could tell we had all stayed out a little bit, uh, but it, it was just celebrating. I mean, you're you're still you just got that natural high of of winning the Super Bowl. You know, you're you're still excited. You're talking about different things that are going on. You're you're communicating with your your family through text messages because you, you know you just saw them, but now you're going back to Green Bay. And then when you pull into Green Bay, you know they've got this basically line of people all the way to the stadium. So they put us on these you know, buses, and we, we went about two miles an hour all the way through the city of Green Bay to the stadium, so that was very special. And how long was it in between the, the, the win and the parade? So we actually saw the parade the next day, and then we did another one where we were at the stadium. When they, they sold out the stadium, and we actually did a, a Super Bowl deal where we were all there and, and celebrate the trophy. Now, that was a cold day as well. You know, They had to shovel all the snow off the field in Green Bay, but – um, I don't think a whole lot of people, you know, felt the cold because it was just you're, you're still celebrating and, and you're you're actually wearing coats at that point, not <laughs> uniforms and jerseys. <laughs> well, not only that, but there's a lot of beer involved too. There, there's there was definitely some beer and some tequila, so it was a it was a, it was a fun time. Is it 
cool to, I mean, obviously it's the only Super Bowl that you won, but do you think it has more of an impact winning it for a, a I mean, Green Bay is one of the smaller markets in the NFL. Do you think it means more winning it there as opposed to a huge market? Because those people, you're part of the community. You're, you're almost family. It's not like there's millions of people that live there. For me, it is. I mean, other play, other people are going to say different things for the, you know, different teams because that's their loyalty. They should. Uh, for Green Bay, you know, I love Green Bay. Um, I, the whole part of Wisconsin, I got married in Wisconsin. My first kid was born in Green Bay. So um, I'll always have those ties, not only from the Super Bowl, for, for my family. And it's a, it's a tremendous place. I would live there today, um, probably if it wasn't so cold in the winter. Um, I would, But I love going back. I love going to visit. Um, I, you know, one of the cool things about training camp, you'd walk by after training camp practice, you see people there grilling wings and a beer and they'd offer it to you, you know, that they're just friendly people and they, you know, they just want everybody to, to have fun and, and be themselves. And, and you were able to do that in Green Bay because that's, that's how inviting they were. Uh, how have you been spending your time since your professional football career came to an end? So I took a few years off, just kind of retire and relax, play some golf, um, we redid some houses. We didn't make any money on them, but uh, we learned really quick that that wasn't going to be the, what I was going to do. So I actually got my insurance license uh, right before COVID hit. And then I was talking to a couple of people and then COVID hit last year. And so I didn't do anything. I just kind of sat there and, and enjoyed the summer. And then I got hired last year from a firm out of in uh, Northwest Arkansas in September. So since September, I've been doing uh, employee benefits and, I, and I've really enjoyed doing that because it's opened a lot of doors to allow me to, talk to people and communicate the way that I used to like to do in the locker room um, and help people out. You know, everybody doesn't want to talk about insurance, but if you're able to kind of relate to them and, and just talk to them as a normal person and kind of walk them through each step, you know, I enjoy that. I enjoy, you know, if there's problems come up, I enjoy trying to fix them because it allows me, you know, to, to have a schedule. I loved having a schedule in the NFL and college. And when I took that time off, I missed that. I missed the, you know, I'd wake up and do I work out now or I might say, oh, I can work out at lunch. I don't have anything else to do. Um, now I'm, I'm kind of back in that routine, which is nice. I wake up at five, I go work out and then, you know, then I go work. And then and there's not a I don't quit just at five. You know, I might quit at three if I finish everything. But, you know, yesterday I was done at eight. And but that's so that's things that I enjoy doing. And it's the same type of effort um, that I'm putting into this that I, that I put in the NFL. Was it a tough transition going from from playing in front of a hundred thousand people to just kind of a low key job talking talking to a few people here and there? I mean, is, was it tough for you mentally to kind of make that transition? I think the hardest part of the transition was the what what if like what is the like the possibilities? What do I do? You know, and having to find yourself. Like I said, I mean, it took me three years. It took me three years to really find something that I enjoyed doing. Um, I looked at everything across, you know, from investing to just doing manual labor. I, I, I crossed everything off. I, at one point, I looked at you know being a plumber, electrician, um, but then I just didn't make that, and I was like, well, I'm just going to you know do this, and I tried that. So that's the hard part of the transition of figuring out what are you going to do with your life because. It's not necessarily the hundred thousand people, but it's the on Sunday you're used to running out and, and playing, and now you're seeing these people. And then when you first quit, they're all teammates that you just left, so you know the entire team. Now, I, you know, I only know a few uh, a few guys, um, and obviously there's there's only a few that are still playing that were on the Super Bowl team. So that you, you realize that everybody's getting older and and talking, and that's just life. But uh, it, it's a it's a transition that. 
it was difficult, but I, I made the best of it, and I enjoyed. You know, had some golf tournaments, had did some charity, you know, fun stuff like that. We drank beer, so that, it, it, it passed the time, so it was fun. Where do you keep your Super Bowl ring, and and does it come out much now? It does come out. Um, so I, I've always told my clients that I had one that said, "I wish I could see your ring," and so well, I wish you'd let me be, you know, your agent. So I said, "So you <laughs> should let me be your bar- agent. I'll, I'll bring it over." So I'll, I'll take it out for people that, that have hired me. Uh, I take it to like kid events, uh, anything that I'm doing charity wise. Um, you know, you go to functions, you bring it out. So anybody that you know wants to see it, I, I'll bring it out and just and, and show them because I enjoy wearing it. My kids love me getting it out. Uh, and putting it on because, you know, my son wants it one day and, and it will be his one day. So um, that's going to be a long time away. But uh, but it, it's, it's fun to, to be able to wear that from time to time. But, you know, you can't put it on and go play golf. It, it, it's heavy. It's awkward. So even typing on a computer, it, it, it's physically hard to do all day. You know, so it's, it's one of those things you've got to do it for special events. And, and it makes it more special when you do that. I was on a flight about five or six years ago and a guy like two rows up from me stood up and he reached for his luggage and he had a, a Green Bay Packers championship ring from 2010 on and to see that thing up close because I'd never seen a championship ring up close I mean that you're right it's monstrous I mean I'm not sure if he was a scout he was an older gentleman but it was just to, to see it up close it's like I I don't know why people would want to wear that all the time you you'd wind up looking like Spock like just with your fingers kind of set apart you do, and it's heavy. And I, one time, I had it on my hand. I was patting my son, just telling him good job. And he goes, "Ow," you know, because it was. It, I didn't mean to go down that hard on his head, it's but like you brass don't realize knuckles. it is, and you don't realize. I say, "Oh, my bad, buddy." And uh, it's it's hard, you know. You, your hand, the, the ring, kind of starts to slide a little bit sometimes if you start moving too much. So it does get awkward at times. But you know, when you're when you're out doing certain events, you, you figure out ways to to make it work. You know, everybody wants to take a picture with it. You know, you let them do it because it's exciting. Well, well, listen, Brett, we want to thank you just for taking a few minutes to speak with us today and kind of relive the uh, the glory days and, uh, and your championship. Well, I appreciate you having me anytime. Thanks for listening to I Won Two. This podcast is produced by Ed Miller and me, Max Morgan of Malik's Media. 